Welcome back to Cyber Context featuring Jonathan Moore. I'm Christian Whiten. A lot of news dealing with satellites, which is an area where we want to focus a lot of attention from the cyber realm, but this time uh, not so much from the cyber realm, but an actual kinetic weapon, Jonathan, from Russia fired, destroys an obsolete Russian satellite in low Earth orbit, uh, not so low that it's going to uh, not cause us problems with debris for potentially many years to come. This, this took people by surprise. Uh, it certainly isn't the first time someone has blown up a satellite uh, intentionally. The Russians probably went first. I was taking a look back, uh, and they may have uh, used a kinetic weapon in, in 1970. Certainly in the 1960s, they were looking at this. The United States somewhat famously uh, blew up one of our own satellites. It was an anti-satellite missile off of an F-15, and that was in 1985. Then China went in 2007, uh, blew up one of its satellites. Apparently a lot of debris from that. Uh, India went more recently, making the uh, fourth country to use an anti-satellite weapon, and that was 2019. Apparently it intentionally used a satellite that was in a, a very shallow orbit so that the satellite and what was left of it uh, and what was left of the anti-satellite kill vehicle uh, deorbited fairly quickly. What do you think? I mean, presumably it's, it's, uh, this is not great for the satellite business, the idea of more, more and more debris. Did this take you by surprise? Do you think this is a big deal? I mean, it's it's certainly bad for space traffic management and space debris management, right? I mean, I think as you point out, India is the only one that's done it really responsibly. I think they were at 320 or 300 something kilometers, at which point, you know, you've, you've got months really before most pretty much everything is going to deorbit if it doesn't have anything to uh, lift it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a big deal. And in fact, you know, this is that, you know, that China incident was was a big deal back. I mean, that was in the 90s, right? Wasn't it? Um they may have done something then, but the more recent test by China was in, 20, I think it was in 2007 is what I have. Okay, 2007. Sorry. It's, mm -hmm. that's, that's long enough ago. It seemed yeah. like the 90s to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I remember, uh, you know, I, I, I remember back in, 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 in the time it was the 90s, that must have been before that incident, uh, mid-90s, uh, reading an issue of Space Debris Quarterly, which I'm not sure if they're still producing that, <laughs> that but that's a NASA publication talking about how even at that time, we transitioned into a, a regime they referred to as supercritical, where the number of distinct pieces of debris caused by collisions uh, is increasing faster than debris is deorbiting. So wow. this isn't a new problem that, that we're in. Uh, this is something that we've known about for a long time, which is why it's, it's really disappointing to see you know, countries intentionally pushing this problem further. You know, we're well. We're looking to a future of proliferated Leo, where we see really big social and economic gains from operating more and more things in Leo. We're at the same time making it harder and harder to operate safely. You know, and I think it, it is. I think tied back also to this. You know, this whole conversation of you know, space becoming a contested regime, right? It's a, it's a now a contested theater that we're, we're seeing people demonstrate capabilities in. And I think this is, this is in a way, you know, posturing, you know, Russia wants to be a credible player in the space. They're certainly one of the space powers. Um, you know, even if we haven't seen a lot of really recent innovation, they still have a ton of capability there. And historically they've been one of the, 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 
the prime players and, you know, space. And I think they probably did it just to demonstrate they were still in the game. You know, it, it, it is really disappointing. And I think it is a real concern, you know, but I think that that does, you know, tie back, you know, in a couple of ways back to our discussion of, of cyber, which is, you know, I think it demonstrates both. The question is that in, in when you start thinking about depending on assets in space, and right now they're all information assets, right? We don't, we're not manufacturing in space. We're not living in space, really. Um, you know, we put things in space because we want them to relay information. And it is part of, you know, it, it's it's all part of that that sort of data mesh network. I don't know whatever the right term there is. And so when we have to start thinking about, like, how are we going to maintain those capabilities? And if it starts becoming, you know, as, and we start thinking about communications, if we start depending, we, we depend on the world on GPS now, right? You know, our economies wouldn't operate the way they do, and individuals wouldn't operate they do without GPS. We've got dependent on it globally. And as we start to push out these global comms constellations, you know, how are we going to, you know, that's yet another thing where we're going to need dependence on, on successful and Leo. Um, so I think all these, it has very big implications, both, you know, sort of directly to the, the you know, the capabilities we're building. And and then and to flip it around the other side is if the world does see this as negative and we really don't want to have these kind of kinetic uh, attacks happen because of the long-term implications they have, uh, you know, does that mean that what we're going to see is the next demonstrations by all these players are going to be cyber-based? And what does that mean? Because... Is it interesting to demonstrate you can have a successful cyber attack against your own uh, assets? Or are we going to have to see demonstration of power not by demonstrating a weapon system, but by demonstrating a sex successful uh, denial of capability of somebody else's asset through cyber? So I think there are some interesting questions there. Right. You know, what you say about cyber is interesting. And I'd like to delve more into that. But before that, just a novice question. Uh, and incidentally, I think you were, you must have been uh, one of what maybe 10, 20 young people who are subscribed to Strace Debris. Would you say monthly, <laughs> weekly, quarterly? Quarterly. It's quarterly. quarterly. Okay. <laughs> there was a, oh, it was a digital publication even back in the night. <laughs> was it? Okay. Yeah. You got it. There was an AOL keyword for it. Um, I was on the internet back then, but but yeah. yeah. Okay. So not CompuServe. Um, so uh, novice question though, is, can you armor satellites? Is that going to be your, I mean, we talk about the, just the mass expansion and the number of satellites that's coming, true exponential growth, even though that term is overused, at least, at least for a little while. Um, but, I mean, can you, uh, can you sweep up junk in space? I assume the geography is just too big to handle, or can you armor satellites well, against debris? I mean, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, this is not an area we're an expert in, but I have, some exposure to the, these questions. Um, so, you know, I mean, first, first off, right, the main thing we're doing is trying to track everything in space, right? We have, you know, radars to track pretty much everything about the size of a baseball larger. We have optical, you know, systems looking for other things. Um, there's a large amateur network uh, that also tries to find these kind of untracked objects. 
Um, and there are public databases that, that contain all of the known objects and their trajectories that, and get updated regularly. So we know where a lot of stuff is. Of course, you know, at whatever, like five kilometers a second that this stuff is moving, you know, even something fairly small can have uh, a fairly substantial impact. So, so that, is, that is definitely concerning. And in, in terms of removing stuff from space, that is definitely an active area of investigation. Um, you know, there are, uh, there are contracts awarded to work on this problem. I don't know whether how successful it's going to be or not. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a really good feeling of from the first principles whether that could work or not. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's at least interesting enough that it's being funded. Um, so, and I think to get back to your last question of, of, of you know, sort of mechanical protections, uh, you know, again, I'm not, not an expert in this, but, you know, I think your answer is you, you've got to stop a, something that's going around. I think, I think it's five kilometers a second. Fact check me <laughs> on that. But I think that's about the velocities that we're talking about here. Right. And then you've got to say, then you, then this is all Then after that, your question is, well, what's the weight going to cost me? Right. I've got, I've got to put this stuff in orbit and, you know, well, I think we're around currently fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a kilogram to put stuff in orbit. So all of that stuff is going to cost you additional budget in terms of in terms of mass to orbit, and then also you know, in terms of your fuel. Because if you ever need to do any maneuvering operations, you're going to have to accelerate that mass. So uh, I I think it's 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 not whether it's possible or not; it's whether it's feasible. Right? I mean. You know, are, do you want to spend the the fuel for lift and maneuver, you know, and your maneuvering on that mass? You know, right now, what we do is try to avoid it. But, you know, again, it's the I best know. answer I can give you to that. I think it's right. Right. There, give you some strings to pull on, if nothing else. <laughs> With the demonstration effect you, you mentioned. So, um, you know, again, four countries, four nation states that have done a, a, an overt um, kinetic attack. Uh, who knows if someone has used a laser? It doesn't seem like anyone that we know of has used a laser to blow well, up. We've, 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 done, we've, we've demonstrated laser attacks against um, satellites, I believe. I know it's oh, been yeah. done. I'm pretty sure we did it. Uh, I would be surprised if other countries haven't. But, you know, this these space-based weaponry is on. I mean, it's certainly interesting you know, energy-based weapons seem to be more, maybe more practical in orbit than kinetic weapons, but uh, if you can get the energies up there. Uh, right, right. Well, but, and then with cyber, um, that does seem to be sort of the, the growing realm. Um, do we know of anyone in, uh, who's done a ransomware attack on a satellite? Just thinking today, uh, the Brits, uh, GCHQ, their, their version of the NSA, I gather, put out a report that ransomware is just the, the growing field, the focus of cyber attacks on Earth, at least. Um, do you think that is the, the new frontier in space? Is that the first thing we, we, we see? I guess it probably wouldn't come from a nation state, but from, a, from a, a, some, some sort of shady group, someone that, that manages to hold the satellite hostage, ransomware? Well, I mean, ransomware gangs are businesses, right? And so... If the economics make sense, I suspect we'll see one. You know, it, it's certainly a more challenging 
Uh, and so I, I think maybe we won't see one for a while because why would you bother hacking a satellite when you can just do something much similar, simpler? I mean, it is rampant. I mean, I have a daughter in college and she wrote me the other day to say, show me a picture that said, don't turn these computers on. They've got a virus on them and you're not allowed to use the Wi-Fi and all the websites are down and don't come to class. Like literally this <laughs> happened to her last week. So, um, you know, it's, it's ransomware is, is an epidemic and it's, it's increasingly affecting our daily lives. But again, it's a business, right? So I have no doubt someday we will see ransomware on a satellite. They're, com they're complex computer systems. It's clear that we cannot implement complex software without introducing vulnerabilities. So someday, yeah, it'll happen. I, uh, because of the business nature of it, I think we're more likely to see um, nation-backed attacks on satellites where there's a strategic objective for attacking a satellite versus ransomware because the economics are better to just do what they already know how to do. So in other words, it would it would not be a shadowy group necessarily, but a nation state that just said, okay, you know, we're taking down one of our satellites to show that we can or one of yours because we're at war with you. And it's just some software mechanism of ruining the satellite. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually will not be surprised at all to see a government taking down somebody else's satellite just to prove they can. <laughs> you know, with attribution being as hard as it is and nations like, you know, Russia and China being as aggressive as they are, you know, I mean, their postures are different, but, you know, Russia has demonstrated, you know, as is reported, right? I mean, attribution's hard, but that they're perfectly willing to use cyber tools against civilian populations to try out capabilities, you know, if it's, if it doesn't harm them politically, you know, or maybe even boost them. You know, we see that the attacks against the Ukraine, we see, you know, various kinds of, you know, broad, uh, you know, jamming, GPS jamming, or even falsifying, um, you know, in marine environments that look like Russia is, has, is responsible for those. So, you know, why, why wouldn't Russian de demonstrate its power by disabling somebody else's satellite? You know, and because we've also seen over and over again that cyber attacks don't raise the level of kinetic response. So what's the motivation not to? Right. That's interesting what you say. So cyber attacks don't uh, lead to a kinetic response. And, that, and that's sort of another way of saying that um, as on Earth, when we're attacked by, well, you know, say attribution is hard. Who knows? Maybe some Chinese are using a Cyrillic keyboard <laughs> to make it look like the Russians. Um, but in space, you think that'll be the case too. I mean, that, that basically deterrence doesn't really work because it clearly isn't working right now. And when you have these attacks occur, there's no, uh, there's not necessarily a direct response. Well, I don't know of, uh, of a case where there has been a nation's back cyber attack that has uh, on another nation that has resulted in that nation, you know, raising the level of active conflict, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we sanction people, right? And we, you know, we make their lives difficult. I mean, certainly, you know, it, it doesn't make people happy when they can't spend their money or they can't travel out of, you know, that their nation of origin for fear of being arrested. But it's, you know, or, or we've arrested some people and, and, you know, diplomatically let them go back eventually, right? Um, but it certainly has not been enough of a deterrence. 
you're saying that that spring break in Sochi is not as fun as uh, uh, the south of France. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, are are vulnerabilities, software vulnerabilities in space, going to be the same as there on Earth? I mean, if, let's say I am. Uh, you know, the North Koreans, if you look back at the Sony Pictures hack, um, maybe blur the line between a nation state attacking and um, some people who want to profit uh, attacking. Um, you know, if, if you were doing this, whether it's it's trying to take down a satellite uh, on behalf of a government or on behalf of a criminal group, um, are the vulnerabilities the same for, for, for people without who don't live and breathe this every day? What what is the access point um, that, that you would try first? I think, I mean, I mean, fundamentally, the software all has the same architecture. So, and even more so, right? You know, there's, a, you know, containerization in space and, you know, orchestration systems in space are kind of the, one of the current trends. And, you know, we're adopting in space the same software architectures and approaches we're using terrestrially, terrestrially so that we can scale. Um, in space and and using those lessons, but it means we're adopting the same vulnerability. And even the software itself, you know, is fundamentally written the same in the same way. I don't think, you know, there are there's I'm sure there are some um, things on orbit that have used very high assurance processes and you know w- are better. But I I don't think you're going to find in reality that most of it is is put enough effort to protect against adversaries because even even if you look at the ways we develop high assurance software today, they're they're meant to validate that it works reliably in the conditions that we intend to operate it. And the job of a an adversary um, is almost always to figure out how to operate something in a way it wasn't intended, and to you know push things into the state of untested. You know, take those untested paths until you can gain control and get what your job done. Uh, so the thing that they have supporting them in the past is, you know, that the adversaries don't have great knowledge of how those systems work. There's, you know, specialty operating systems. But more and more, what we see is that we're running Linux servers in orbit, you know, and that, you know, all of the adversaries' not domain knowledge of how to attack, you know, Linux is going to apply to Linux in space as well. So I think, you know, the answer is yes, it's, it's, it's different. And so there's less, no- I mean, because a lot of it is just, do you have the knowledge required to perform these tasks? And, you know, less people do, but as we commoditize more, it will become more standardized and make those attacks easier. So it's it's hard to say. One, one thing that is sort of maybe riskier about space is it's all connected by radios. So, you know, uh, if it's overhead, I can send energy to it and potentially start interacting with it. Um, so it's harder to sort of basically segregate, segregate and segment uh, assets in orbit. And everybody knows where they are. They can go look up what their paths trajectories are. And, you know, they're also licensed by, you know, there's the frequencies or there's a lot of um, work on, on licensing frequencies. And so you can uh, find out a lot what frequencies people are licensed to, and you've got, you know, you're halfway there to starting to build software. Uh, so I think that's maybe an additional risk that those have, but where there is certainly growing knowledge in the community of how to use software to find radios to do these kinds of things and, and you know, 
motion control is getting cheaper and more accessible so that it is in reach of everybody who wants to, the, the knowledge is still less broad than people who know how to write Windows exploits. Hmm. That's interesting, because when you think of it, uh, I mean, at first you think, wow, these things are in satellite, in space, that gives you some protection because they're several hundred miles away in a vacuum when, when it sounds like that's actually not the case, that in fact, essentially they're, they're accessible to everyone, or at least everyone who, as you say, can, can send them energy. Uh, with uh, just a little more on that in software, so you mentioned Linux servers in space. Um, the current, is it uh, the basic software providers now? I mean, are people running Windows in space? Are, are, are the systems, is the firmware and other software, is it basically what you get from the satellite manufacturers, the big guys like Boeing or SpaceX? Um, or is it is it highly varied by sort of the type of satellite? I think there's a lot of diversity now. There's increasing standardization. Um, I mean, so, well, from any particular organization, historically, you'd see limited diversity because they want to use quite proven hardware with heritage that they know is reliable. And so you, you'll, you'll find that, that a particular organization is likely to use something that they know they've worked before. And like the example I may have already used last week or I, I pull out on a regular basis is in 1989, Hubble launched with core memory, right? <laughs> that technology was 30 years out, had been replaced in industry for 30 years. But because they knew how to operate it and they knew it was reliable, they still launched with it. Um, it was then replaced a few years later by an on-art admission with some RAM. But the fact is, is that kind of shows how deeply ingrained heritage has historically been in space systems. So I think as you'll find it's a particular organization will use what they know how to use. But there's a large diversity of in each or, between organizations what they're going to use. But mostly what you're going to find right now is embedded system. You're going to find basically two things, some embedded operating system or just hand-coded uh, one-off um, implementation uh, uh, or people who are moving to um, a commercially provided RCOS and or uh, for real-time operating system um, or uh, uh, Linux or a combination of the two. When, and when you think of uh, a lot of information security, we tend to think of, well, government has higher needs, legal requirements, but also they're slow to move. They're terrible at hiring people. Almost all the computer scientists in government are contractors because uh, it would just take too long to hire them if they were direct government employees. There's some exceptions, of course. Uh, they can't pay them enough in the government, on and on and on. So the government sometimes has better systems, but also older technology because of their speed. Is that true in satellites when you think of, of security? Is, is the government in a better position in the private sector or are there vulnerabilities across the spectrum? I mean, I, I, I can't speak for first-hand knowledge for how government systems in space work. Um, I, that's not where I have experience. Um, but I mean, I, I would say it's not even clear the government systems have better security anywhere, right? <laughs> I think, you know, there are some areas where they try harder, but I think they're generally under-resourced. I mean, if you look at, you know, periodically the executive branch decides they need to understand vulnerabilities in the government after like a large hack or whatever. Uh, and the number of assessments that happen, and then years later, another assessment happens, and the exact same vulnerabilities that they found in the previous assessment still are sitting unfixed is that's the norm, I believe, 
rather than the exception, or at least it's it's fairly average. So I, I don't think we should believe that the government is more secure. I mean, they certainly have a lot of resources to spend. Um, and, you know, they they have, you know, in intelligence defense in high, you know, classified areas, they're willing to put a lot of effort and man hours and, you know, be careful. But I don't think they inherently write better software. I don't think they have any kind of special ability to write better software. You know, they if they're willing to spend more money, they'll achieve. Like, we know how to write correct, you know, highly correct software, high assurance system, systems with very low defect rates. It's just that it costs 10 or 20 times more than it would cost to create normal quality commercial code. Ouch. And so everybody's budget constrained at a, at a level. And do you want to ten, spend 10 times what other people, well, you know, 10, 10 times the sort of the, the quality of commercial code to get something with a very low defect rate? It sounds like, so ideally you would take that approach. You, you would address everything in software from the, from the, you know, just employ zero trust in space. The idea that uh, security should be central, not peripheral, and that the way you operate yourself, your, your software, um, your business practices stem from that. It sounds like that's what you're saying, but is there sort of an interim step that that satellite operators could use? I mean, if they just used a little better encryption, would that put them in a better space? And I guess the flip side of that 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 question is um, for systems you think that are pretty wide open. Take a communication satellite. Uh, does that use encryption already? I mean, are these things pretty accessible if you have a space radio uh, and want to want to go after them? Well, I think so. So the, the two questions there, I mean, I think, is there something incremental you can do? I mean, do you have to fix everything? Like, no, I think you don't, but you do need to segment and say, here are the system, here are the parts of the system that need to be trustworthy. And I've segmented them out from the others. You know, at a level though, I mean, well, you can get a lot of progress then, right? You know, it's not going to completely solve it until you've got, you know, very robust systems where you can sort of wipe the lower trust systems clean from the high trust systems in a way you really have confidence in. So so I think there's certainly incremental steps. And on cryptography, it's basically going to have to do with the age of the vehicle. So, you know, the the FCC, so it, if you're going to operate in space, you do so uh, licensed by your nation of origin that you that you launched from or whatever um, that you operate under, whosoever flag you operate in under. And they're required to license and manage spectrum as well as, as police the behavior of um, the people under their flag. Um, so the FCC uh, requires that, you know, to satisfy your license that you encrypt your com have encrypted comms. Um, but how good are your comms? How well are they manage? What is that encryption? Do you do key management? Well, there's really, as far as I know, um, and my experience, very little really checks it's just it's a checkbox right now not not a stronger control so new things will have encrypted comms by by to uh, fulfill their fcc licenses is there any real standards on what that means i don't think so well it's interesting with uh <laughs> with the idea that uh flagging as it were a satellite the same way you might flag a ship from its country of origin i just wonder if that creates a race to the bottom i guess there's an incentive not to here sort of unlike in shipping uh you know once i saw a rickety ship in taiwan 
that was flagged in Mongolia, which is a landlocked country, of course. Uh, several. I think we are away. seeing that now. What what was it? Uganda. There was a, I believe, an African country which recently filed, you know, a motion with the UN or wherever you file it that they want to launch a constellation of five hundred thousand satellites. <laughs> right. Wow. I mean, so clearly that's an example of exactly what you're saying, right? I don't believe that nation state has the expertise to or resources to develop and deploy that. There's clearly somebody working with them, you know, coming from another nation that has those expertise and knowledges with whatever plan that is. I mean, all I know about it is just that the headline of the article. Um, well, I guess I think I did read the article, but it was very light on detail. Um, so I don't know about that specific plan, but I think that's exa exactly an example of that flagging you're talking about. <laughs> right. Well, it'll be interesting to see. It's like a, a brave new world. Um, that's all the time we have now for this edition of Cyber Context. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and we'll see you again soon. Thanks.